All right, I think we're good. So I, I haven't been uh, silent about this. I, I have a lot of mixed feelings when it comes to Christmas. I feel like I've been pretty upfront about this almost every single Christmas, and I don't mean to eat your gingerbread house before all the frosting has dried, but uh, I, I just... I love talking about our Lord. I love thinking of the mystery of the incarnation. To me, this is incredible. I, I could do, I'd do that all the time. I, I love that. And I love that there's a time set aside for us to do that. I love getting together with family. I even like getting gifts. Uh, I like getting gifts probably more than I like giving gifts. Uh, I'm not, that's probably the truth. Uh, so, so it's not those things. It's not the, it's not the tree and all that. It, there's just always this strange tension. So let me try to explain what I mean. There, there's these, there seems to be these strange, archaic traditions that happen that don't make sense to me. Now, they might make perfect sense to you, but they don't make perfect sense to me. So, like, for example, I was watching a movie, and uh, in the movie, one of the actors starts talking about the three kings who came to visit Jesus. And he then goes on to name them, Casper, Melchar, and Belshazzar. And you're going, now wait a minute. That's, they're not kings. We don't know if there were three, let alone how do we know their, their names? That's, that seems made up, right? Yesterday, uh, we, we went on the trolley ride downtown. That was great. We had fun. Had cocoa. AJ was talking to the guy dressed up as Santa, and he asked the man some really good questions. I, I felt as, as one who my belief in Santa Claus, what it is, I thought those were the appropriate questions. He said, this is how we preface every question. Now, I know you're not real, but... Right? Some of those things are just strange to me. Right, I, I just have a difficult time really enthusiastically getting about being about those things. Uh, saw, I saw a nativity this week, and it had the three wise men. And I thought, well, there's Casper, and there's Belshazzar. Look, I, I think a lot of these things are, these celebrations are harmless. They're fine. I, I don't have any great theological hang-up with them. It's just... You know, we have a tree here in my house. I have a tree. We have stuff going up. I go around on trolley rides drinking hot chocolate. I even let my kids take pictures with Santa Claus. I don't have an issue with those things. My major hang-up is that a lot of these things take us away from the actual celebration of Jesus himself. See, I see all of these things as symbolic gestures of Christ. That's what it is. All of these things are for us to celebrate him. And sometimes with these traditions, we get so caught up in the tradition that we forget this is a time to celebrate a person, not just a celebration together. I think the group of men that really encapsulate this is found in Matthew 2. So go with me to Matthew 2. As we talk about celebrating this time of year, we're not celebrating the time of year. We're celebrating the person. That, that's what this is about. We're celebrating not just the birth of any person, not just the birth of our person, but we're talking about the birth of one who has been prophesied about 
from the very beginning that's been part of God's eternal plan before the foundations of the world. One that has been, ink has been written about, right? Of one that will come as a savior. The one that's going to come as the Messiah. This, this one that, that's born is much more than just a child and a king. He's our savior who dies on the cross for our sins. He, he, he's that one that's going to bring in that peace during the millennium. To me, he's everything. There can't be anything outside of him. He's the most sufficient Savior and Lord. That's why it's worthy to celebrate him. And that's why it's worthy to celebrate these events, such as his birth. Because it causes us to think about some of these great mysteries. So, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see a group of men, another group of men, celebrate Jesus. Um, so just notice in verse 1, it says, uh, chapter 2, Now after Jesus was born, now I want you to mark this. Jesus is born, okay? He's already born, okay? And where is he born? He's born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So why would Matthew include this? He includes this for our sake to kind of give us a time frame of when Jesus was born and when some of these events happened. We know that roughly uh, Herod dies, I don't know, uh, 4 B.C., 3 B.C. So this may happen around 6 to 5 B.C., maybe 4 B.C. We don't know exactly the date or the time, but it's kind of around that time, okay? It's also important to remember that Herod is king, Herod isn't necessarily the nicest guy to be around. He uh, pretty paranoid, very paranoid, very material, or, uh, huge military guy, right? Loves military. He's the guy that built this great fortress out in the desert, right? We also know that at this time, you have to understand the climate. Politically, things are crazy. Rome has Herod in charge, right? Rome expects Herod to keep the peace. The people of Israel do not like Herod, and they do not like Rome, okay? Also, at this time, there are several different factions that are arguing about the nature and the future of Israel. Some of these people claim to be messiahs. You have to realize, at this time, there were several people, several people that claimed... To be the Messiah. So when Jesus is born, you got to realize this is a powder keg of a situation. Okay? Herod, super paranoid, loves to build things, loves having an army. Right? You have all these people jockeying for position, saying this is what the future of our nation is going to be. And you even have people claiming to be the Messiah. And some of these people who claim to be the Messiah get little small armies... And they start to to attack. And Rome sees this and Rome goes, can't do this. Can't have this, right? So so these are the days, okay? This is the situation, right? And notice what, what Matthew says. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So when when is this? I don't know. Traditionally, they say this is 13 days after Jesus was born. I do have a little bit of a difficult time with that. I'll tell you a couple reasons why. First, 
if we, are, if we were to continue reading in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, we see that Jesus is brought to the temple at the time of purification. This would have been Mary's purification. And according to Leviticus, this had to be at least 40 days. So we see Jesus, Joseph, and Mary at the temple definitely after 40 days. We're going to read this in this account that as soon as the Magi leave, Joseph gets a dream that says, go to Egypt and stay there. So it, it seems a little inconsistent to think that this would have happened 13 days. Then they would have ran over to Egypt. And then Mary goes, you know what we forgot to do? The purification thing. We got to go around and do that. That doesn't seem logical. So it would seem that this would be at least, at least 40 days after the birth of Christ. I know this is an assumption, but just knowing that these are wise men from the East, and just knowing in the ancient world who had such a group known as wise men, was a significant distance away, okay? And would have taken significant amount of time to go from one place to another. Now, we don't know when the star appeared. We, we don't know that. But the, the idea is, and, and I think most modern scholars would say, look, this is happening from anywhere from six to two years after the birth of Christ. So, so, so Jesus is not a newborn baby. Uh, he, he's a little bit older than that. And I feel like that's a good enough answer. From six months to two years, I'm, I'm okay with that. So these guys come, they come from the east, probably from modern-day Iraq, and they come to Jerusalem. And why have they come to Jerusalem? Notice what they say. These men say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, it's important to notice the verbiage here. Not, where is he who is born who's going to become the king? Right? That's one thing. The question is, where is he who's born already the king? Now, that, that's, pretty, that's a pretty significant uh, distinction, I think, that, that this one who's born is significant. He's not going to become the king. He already is the king. He's born king. And then notice what they say. They say, for we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. So the question is, what is the star? And how would they know that all of a sudden here's this star, and this means that the king of the Jews is born? A lot of speculation here, friends. A lot of ideas of how they would have known what this star was. In looking at it this past week, I'm convinced that this star is no longer around, that this was a special star that God created just for a specific purpose. And it's for this reason that these guys look up and they go, that's new. One thing that we do know about stars is that stars just don't all of a sudden appear. So having a star that all of a sudden appears might be uh, interesting. Now the question is, how did they draw the connection between that and the king of the Jews? Maybe, maybe because these guys were from, uh, from Iraq, they would have been familiar with the Jewish prophecies. Maybe Daniel and his friends brought copies of the scriptures and they would have had it there and they would have seen Balaam's prophecy about a star rising. Maybe they would have read Daniel and, 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 and read about this one that's going to come, that's going to be this king of kings. And, and, and all of a sudden now there's this new star. This has to be that one. Maybe they made that connection. 
What, what is clear, though, is that they, they still are a little ignorant of a couple things. And we're going to see they don't know where, the, where he's born, right? They're assuming he's going to be in Jerusalem. We're going to see later on that the Bible predicts he's not going to be born in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. But nonetheless, we're here to worship the king. Why? Because we've seen his star. This is significant. This is significant for us to travel this long distance carrying very valuable things to give to this person, right? This is significant for us. So notice what it says next. It says, so that we may worship him. Last year, we talked about this worship, whether, whether they understood Jesus as being God at this point or whether they were just saying, thinking, here's a king. This is a significant king. We're here to pay homage to him. Uh, it's most likely the second one that they are just assuming that this is... The, they would have no idea of knowing the identity of this, of this one. Maybe they did. Maybe, maybe they do mean it in the same way that we would mean worship. I mean, he has his own star. I don't have my own star, right? So, that, I mean, that, that, might, that, might, that might lend itself to the fact of this one's significant, right? But notice what happens after these wise guys come and they say, Hey, we've been watching the stars. We see the star. Where's the king? Notice what it says in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Uh, if you write in your Bibles or you, uh, you make notes, this would be one to go, here's a classic case of understatement. <laughs> to say that he was troubled, I get troubled when there's a turnover in a football game. This is... This is like a mind that turns into Chernobyl, right? This is like a meltdown. This, this is like just, this is what? What? Now remember, this guy's already paranoid. So somebody coming in from outside going, where's the king that was just born? I'm the king. So having another king, that would be troubling. Remember, he's there to keep the peace and that there's several people already claiming to be the Messiah. And we're going to see later... Herod draws the dots here, and he goes, this one must be the one of the Messiah. And he's thinking, there's already been several Messiahs that have already caused these huge coup d'etats. This is going to be bad. Doesn't want to give up power. So he is, he's lost it, right? He, he is troubled. And then notice, notice the next part. I found this kind of interesting. Really haven't noticed this in this account before. And it says, and he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Meaning, meaning that the, the, the city itself was troubled. And the question would be, well, why, why would they be uh, troubled? I don't know. Maybe because you have a paranoid leader who's willing to kill people. Uh, who all of a sudden now thinks there's another king. That could, that could, be, a, that could be a big deal. Or here's somebody claiming that there's another king. Is Rome going to accept this? Is a baby going to lead us into battle against Rome? Right? Maybe somebody's going, are you, who do we know? Do we even know that these guys are legitimate wise men? Are they, are they legitimate? I mean, imagine. You're, you're just doing your own stuff, and somebody came, comes to you and says, hey, we just saw a star that's never been existent before. Uh, it's a, the Messiah is born. A king's born. Tell, show us where the king of the United States is born. What would you think? You've, you've been out in the desert too long, friend. You're going crazy, right? 
So, so, just, so just imagine, you, you hear a report of somebody saying there's a new king. You're thinking, oh, is this going to cause a war? Is, is this, this going to uproot my life? So there's a lot of reason to be troubled, right? So Herod, notice what Herod does. So verse 4, so Herod, Herod except, uh, assembling the chief priests and scribes. So notice that it says chief priests and not chief priest. The question is, why is that? Well, in the Old Testament, there was supposed to be one chief priest, but when Rome came in, they gave the, they, they gave the power of being a chief priest to those who were very pro-Roman, right? And that office, which was something that was only supposed to be held by one guy in perpetuity, now is uh, to a family. And they have term limits of when they become priests, and then they step down, and then another guy comes up. But what happens to the guy in the past who was the, the high priest or the chief priest a couple days ago? He still retains that title, chief priest, right? So this is most likely made up of the group of uh, the Sadducees. Then you have then the scribes. The scribes, are, these are traditionally the ones who, who really know the scriptures. They know the laws. They know the rabbinical laws. Uh, they're sometimes referred to as lawyers, right? They act like lawyers. They know these, these minute details. Uh, they're, they're, they're spiritual leaders. These are probably even leaders in synagogues and teachers in synagogues. These are... He goes and he goes to the, religious, to the religious elite who would know these things. And notice, so he assembles these people and, and he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod in his mind hears this, what the, what the Magi say. And in his mind he goes, this must be the Messiah. Or they must be speaking of the Messiah, right? So, whatever. So, so where is he supposed to be born? Clearly Herod is kind of taking this serious, Right? It is kind of interesting when you look at Herod's family. His family didn't necessarily have the best track record when it comes to following the Lord and being pro-Israel. Kind of interesting then that he is now the king. Uh, many, many people commented, and I think it's true, that he's not the legitimate king that everybody's been waiting for, and this announcement is the true legitimate king of David. Yeah, that's all true. But notice that he does make this connection and, and, and notice the answer, and the answer seems somewhat right on the top of their head, right? Right, right? right there at their fingertips. And it says, and they told him, in Bethlehem, for it is written by the prophet. And, and what prophet? This is found in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And, and notice what he says. He says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. Now, it's kind of interesting because Judah is a town, not a person, and so here to call it a, a ruler, this demonstrates that, a, that Bethlehem will play a significant part in the ruling of the nation. Why? Because from Bethlehem will come the king of kings, the ruler of rulers. So Bethlehem is not insignificant when it comes to other towns in the world. In fact, it has this unique moniker for the rest of time, for the rest of history. That's the birthplace of Jesus the king of kings. That's significant. This little town is going to play a significant role in geopolitics forever. And it says, from you will come a ruler. And notice this ruler, notice what he'll be like. He'll, he will be a shepherd. He will shepherd my people. Kind of an interesting reference, right? Because 
He's coming from the line of David. David was a shepherd. Here, this king of king will be like David, who will also be a shepherd. So it's this idea of, of, of providing for, loving his people, loving the people of Israel. But this ruler is going to come. Okay, So, so these people know. There, there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot of critique of these chief priests and, and leaders, I think partly because we know the end of the story and we know that these guys instigate the, the, the death of Jesus. There's a lot of people that go, well, if they knew this answer, then why didn't they go see the Messiah? I just want to caution you once again. Just put yourself in their shoes. You don't know who these, these guys are that come and say, we've seen a star. There's been several people that have claimed to be the Messiah. They didn't necessarily think that the Messiah was going to be the God-man. They thought this was a political leader. And how can a baby be the political leader? And so there would have been this dismissal. There would have been some understandable uh, skepticism. But Herod takes this very serious. So notice in verse 7. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned these wise men secretly. He, he, didn't, he didn't do this while the, the Sanhedrin was, these, these, these leaders, these religious leaders were in session. He calls them secretly. And, and this, this is important. Herod, I, I think, is showing some of his hand because we know later that he's not really pro-birth of the Messiah. He, he wants this one dead. And so he, he doesn't want too many people to hear the conversation. And he doesn't really want too many people to know. So this is a secret conversation. And, and notice, and it says, and ascertained from what time the star appeared. So, so you get this meeting of just Herod and these, these wise men, how many there were. And it's a secret meeting and they're discussing. And he's not concerned about the Messiah or the king. He just wants to know, when did the star appear? Let me know. And, and, and the sense is that he really grilled them. Like this was much more than, when did you first start seeing the star? This was, a, this was a long, long investigation of exactly what was the exact moment you saw this star appear. Meaning it wasn't there before. So when was it? Tell me. Tell me when this was. And then in verse 8 it says, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Now, has anybody been to Israel in here? You know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Yeah, 10 miles. Not a very far trip, right? I mean, it, you could do it in a couple hours. So he sends, them to, he sends them to Bethlehem, right? Not a far way away, right? One would question, if you were so concerned, Herod, about, you know, Messiah over there, why wouldn't you go? But for whatever reason, he sends them. He sends them to Bethlehem. Short distance away, right? And then notice what he says. He says, go and search diligently for the child. The, the sense is to go look, to be very thorough, to ask a lot of questions, right? And, and once you find this child, then he says, and when you found him, bring me word. Bring me word. Let me know. I want to know this. And he gives this reason. Notice his reason. He says that I too may come and worship him. Wow. Neat, huh? 
Herod wants to go worship him. Once again, the question could have easily been asked, if you were so concerned about going and paying homage to the new king, why don't you go to the new king? You don't ask a king to come to you. You go to the king, right? So, kind of interesting. So then notice what happens here after he says this. It says, after listening to the king, they, being the magi, went on their way. So they start going to Bethlehem. Would have been a very simple trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Uh, really don't need a lot of guidance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then notice what it says. And it says, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. So you get the sense that the star reappears. So the star appears. They go, this is significant. Then they come to Jerusalem. They start going on the way, and the star reappears. And then notice what the star does. <laughs> and it says, and it, it rose before them until it came to, the, to rest over the place where the child was. So you get the sense that the star was there and led them. This is a unique star. Now, there are some people who have a really difficult time about a moving star. And they try to answer this question scientifically, saying, well, this has to be a comet. This has to be just dumb coincidence that they're, that they're just following one star and go, that, I think that's his star. And that just took them to the place where Jesus was. Friends, I, I think this is a supernatural star. I, I think this is, I've never seen a star move and then stop over a place. I, I don't even know what that would look like for a star to move and then rest over a place. I don't even know what that looks like. But that's what happened, right? This is something supernatural. In fact, it is so out of the ordinary for these people who are watchers of the sky. It's so, it's so extraordinary, so out of the ordinary, that, that knows what happens. In verse 10, it says, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Uh, in, in the Greek, you could, you could write this out as they had joy that you can't even measure. You, you, can't even, you, can't even, you can't even describe what kind of joy this is. It's like when I went back to Wyoming, there were some people who had never seen the ocean, and they asked me what the ocean was like. A big lake? <laughs> you know? I, I don't know how to describe the immensity of the body of water, that's the ocean. That, that's the type of joy that these people had, that these guys had. Incredible joy. Why? Because this is such a unique thing. This is a supernatural thing that's happening. God, God isn't just playing dice with this. This, this is important. And this is important for us to remember. These are Gentiles who are coming to worship, coming to pay homage to the new king. So notice in verse 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. I think that's really interesting as well. It isn't, it isn't Mary with her child, which would be how you would normally say that sentence, right? That's the mother and then the child. Notice that the child gets, gets the honor of being mentioned first. Why? Because that's the king. That's the Messiah. Right? That, that's the one where stars are created and leading people right to, right to the doorstep of where he is. And, and they do the only appropriate thing. They fall down and they worship him. They, they pay homage to him as a king. How much they understood about Jesus, we don't know. And then, and then it says, and they opened their treasures. The, the sense you get here, the sense I get from the Greek, is they kind of had like these, these treasure boxes. Right? They had like these little boxes that they had 
all this stuff in. So they open it and they offer him these gifts, right? And there's three. And it's because of these gifts that people say there was three wise men. I'm not 100% sure where the idea came that these guys were kings, other than it just really preaches really nice. Here are three kings, three Gentile kings that come and bow down before the king of kings. That, that'll preach. I don't think that's what it says, but so here are these guys. And then we see these gifts, and these are, these are normal gifts that you would give to a king, that you would give to a dignitary. Uh, some people have tried to, to uh, ascribe a lot of symbolic meaning to these. That may be the case. That may be the truth. Uh, but I, I, this is just a pretty common gift that you would give to a king. So, so this, this demonstrates that they realize that this is somebody special. That this is like a dignitary. These would be the same gifts that they would give to a king. And notice what the three are. It would be gold. And then you had frankincense. And you had myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh are both... Uh, uh, very, very valuable spices and, and would have had a would have had uh, very valuable very valuable by the way think about this if the wise men came to Joseph and Mary giving them these very valuable things gold frankincense and myrrh when they go to the temple for Mary's purification which would have been 40 days and they would have given pigeons that would have been completely inappropriate because the sacrifice that they were supposed to give would have been far greater. But there was an allotment for those who were poor that they could give something because it's important that they give something, and that was pigeons, and that's what they gave. If they had a treasure chest of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they would have been able to sell that and then offer something, something far more substantial than, than, the, than, this, than what they did. So they give the gifts, right? It's an incredible gift. And then it says in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, I don't know what they said other than don't go back that way. They departed to their own country by another way. Now, when I look at these, these wise men, I, 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 see a group of, I see a group of men who are there to celebrate the person, right? That's what they're there to do. They're celebrating the person. I think that's really important. That, that's what this time is about. When we talk about Christmas as a time of celebration, it's a celebration of Jesus, the King of Kings, our Savior and our God, right? That, that, that's what this is. This, this is about him. It's for him. It's all for him. Everything's for him. Even, even the gestures that we have for each other, they are to show us him. Even gift-giving. That, 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 that's to demonstrate the gift that Jesus has given to us. And so when we give and receive gifts, that's to remind us of Jesus. And that's one of the things that I do like about Christmas. I don't want to act like I'm a curmudgeon or a Scrooge, even though my wife calls me one on a regular basis. I do like some of the stuff that happens. I, I love the music. I, I really do like the music. As a kid, one of my favorite ones was the 12 Days of Christmas. And I thought that was kind of a funny song of here's this true love who just goes around and gives the one he loves a whole bunch of, whole bunch of birds and a band and dancing people, which is what I'm going to give my wife. No, um, and I just thought it was just kind of a funny song. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, 
But as I've been doing a little bit of research this past month on Christmas and some of the Christmas traditions, I did not realize that the entire song was about Jesus. Did you know that? The 12 days of Christmas was about Jesus? It was originally written to, to cause us to think about Jesus. Because back, back in the day, they would have a 12-day celebration, starting with the nativity, the coming of Jesus, and then 12 days all the way And on the 12th day would be the Feast of Epiphany where they would celebrate the coming of the Magi. And all those 12 days would be significant events that you would happen. You would go to church and there would be special things you did. And so this song was was to be sung during that time to cause them to think about what God has done for them. So, So when it says, my true one gave to me, the author is thinking of of the book of, of Song of Solomon, and he's thinking of God. God's the one who is giving these things, and each one of those things after that are symbolic. So, for example, the first day is what? A partridge in a pear tree. What's that? that? That's speaking of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. That's the image. The second day, two turtle doves, refers to the both Old and New Testament. The third day, three French hens, refers to the Trinity. The fourth day, four calling birds or four canaries. Maybe even before ducks. I like ducks, by the way. I, I, I prefer that. Would refer to the four Gospels. You have the, the five golden rings that speaks of the Old Testament, specifically of the prophecies of the coming of Jesus, right? Sixth day, you have six geese laying, refers to the six days of creation. The seventh day, seven swans swimming would refer to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The eighth day, eight maids of milking, would refer to Jesus' teaching and the Beatitudes. The ninth day, nine ladies dancing, guess what that's a reference to? The new life that we have in Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. Then you have the tenth day, the ten lords of leaping, most likely refers to the Ten Commandments. The eleventh day most likely speaks of the thousands and thousands of people that were martyred. And then the twelve drummers drumming is just annoying. I'm joking. The 12 drummers drumming is most likely the 12 points of the Apostle Creed. By the way, if you were to add up all those gifts, just just out of fun, you know how many gifts you would get if you were to give somebody this? 364. And if you were so inclined to give this to your sweetheart, um, it would cost you $45,000 today. But you see the point. So here's this song that celebrated, they celebrated it uh, around the time of the coming of the Magi. You're, you're thinking about these gifts. You're thinking about what Jesus has done. And in their mind as they're singing this song, they're, they're, they're thinking about the incredible gifts, the valuable gifts that God has given. And it's all centered around that one, that one who came, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. This is a celebration of him. And, and even the, that gift gifting the giving of gifts is a gesture to remind us of the gift that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. The tree is a symbol for us to remember the eternal life that we get because of Jesus Christ dying on a tree. The star on the top of the tree reminds us of the kings, that, they, that God supernaturally caused the star to happen, to lead them to Christ. And, and just like the scriptures lead us to Christ, You have the various different elements and the various different things. And I know that there are going to be some people that are going to say, look, 
You Christians just stole a whole bunch of pagan ideas and made it Christian. Yeah, we did, and amen. Because it causes us to think about our Savior. I'm willing to steal a lot of stuff to make me think about Jesus, right? There's a lot of things in the culture that I look at and I go, yeah, that could look like Jesus. And I might, I might be willing to do that. I might be willing to take an image from the culture and go, this reminds me of Jesus. Why not a tree? Why not a star? Why not lights? Why, why not candy? Why not, why not gift giving? And why not, why not do it on this day and take some of these, these really pagan traditions and say, we're not just going to do this for Jesus to remind us of Jesus. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of us contemplating him all the time. And he's worthy of us especially contemplating him, celebrating him at this time. So let's go ahead and let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Father, we are thankful for everything that you've given us. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you sent Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross for our sins. I, I am so, so, so incredibly blessed as a recipient of your grace and of your mercy and of your love that you would, you would go to such great lengths for the salvation of not only me, but of my brothers and sisters who are here my brothers and sisters around the world, brothers and sisters that I don't even know about from times past. You are great and you are incredible as a sovereign and holy God to deal with my sin, to make me new from the inside out. And I am sorry that I do not celebrate you, celebrate Jesus and the salvation that I have in Jesus more than I do. And I'm so very thankful that you have worked in the lives of believers before me to, to say, here's a special time to consider Jesus. And I, I thank you that, that we have this time to consider your son Jesus. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen.